Christoph's talk this morning is entitled Building for the Gospel. It finds its roots way back in the dedication of the temple by King Solomon. The relevant reading is 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 22 to 30. And as you see, you'll find it on page 345. This is God's word. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands towards heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on the earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. Now, Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David the promises you made to him when you said, you shall never fail to have a man to sit before you on the throne of Israel, if only your sons are careful in all they do to walk before me as you have done. And now, O God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open towards this temple night and day, this place of which you said, My name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer that your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. We're going to forego the next song and just let Christoph come and speak to us. Thanks for that, Billy. Um, I think forgoing the song is probably a good idea. We're running a wee bit behind time. It'll take me a minute or two to get myself organized, though, so... Um, I was planning to enjoy singing that song along with you. Just while I'm doing that, uh, I want you to imagine a conversation taking place in Ballyhackamore. It's, it's springtime. People are able to stand around a bit more in the sunshine and chat. Three, three people who are members of Kirkpatrick meet out there. <clears throat> and the conversation goes something like this. I hear they're going to knock the church down. Um, one person says, and the other person says, no, no, I've heard they're going to refurbish it. And the third person says, what are you talking about? I haven't heard any of this. That conversation, although I've asked you to imagine it, is quite a likely one, I think. Uh, given the, the level of information, disinformation, and misinformation that we have flying around. So today we want to try and um, make sure that our conversations around our church buildings are a little bit better informed and that we have a, a common understanding. We're going to talk about our buildings. What I'm going to do is remind you, unless you're very new here, you will know that we've been thinking about our buildings. Um, Probably like those of us who are trying to do the thinking, you're frustrated by the pace. I, I, was, I was quite struck 
we first started talking to you about this in December of 2017. Now, now people say it's good not to be hasty, not to be, you know, you know, to think things through. I, I think we, we get a good tick there. Um, we've, we've taken our time. So I'm going to remind you very quickly for a couple of minutes about the, the things that we've said to you so far. Uh, and then today, um, I'm going to try and push on from that a little bit. In December of 2017, uh, we communicated, the Kirk session that is, communicated to you that we've been thinking about our buildings and been asked to think about our buildings many times recently. And there were some factors that we shared with you that we thought were, were playing into this at the time. There should be four bullet points here. Functionality of our buildings. Are they functional? Do they work well? Overcrowding we were noticing starting to become a, a recurring frustration. Health and safety. Uh, if you work in any older buildings, you'll know that the, the culture has changed around what's expected of a public building, and older buildings struggle sometimes to comply with that. And then general maintenance. Again, if you have an older building, you tend to work very hard to, to maintain it. So these things won't surprise you, I don't think. Uh, that they were all in our minds. We, we then started a conversation where we said we wanted to keep all options on, on the table. So the options that we, we had in mind were invest in our buildings, keep, keep pouring money into them just as they are, redevelop them, that is, keep them broadly as they are, but, but start to change what the buildings are actually like. Uh, and then the third option was to rebuild parts or all of our site. Uh, you can see those sort of escalate a little bit. And the fourth option is give up on the site and go and rent uh, a property somewhere else if we think those, uh, that would be the best way forward. So we took time to, to look at all of those options. And we told you in December of 2017 that we'd be back in the spring of 2018 with a preliminary decision, probably trying to narrow down those four options. We communicated again. All of this has been communicated in, in letters which you may or may not have read. So I'm, I'm summarizing these very quickly for you. In May of 2018, so 12 months ago, we came back to you and we told you uh, how the Kirk session had, you know, we'd done a lot of research, we'd met together in an elders conference to consider some of this stuff, and we came up with this statement. The Kirk session believes that the time is right for Kirkpatrick to embark on a significant building project. Okay? As a leadership, we didn't see it, it made sense to look, after, look for the other options. We, we just felt we had to stay on this site and we needed to do major work. That's, that's how far we got. We still had it open in our minds whether that would involve complete demolition of the, the halls and the church or whether it would be demolition of the halls and refurbishment of the church. So that's where we're at. That's what our church leadership believes is uh, what we're being uh, called to consider. We hosted a, a congregational meeting in June of 2018. None of you came. Well, 30 of you did. 
but hardly any of you came. It was the day Germany were knocked out of the World Cup, so I will remember it for the rest of my life. Um, it was, I, I think you were at home just celebrating in your gardens. Uh, it, was, it was that heat wave. It was, very few people came. We didn't get much chance then to share this with people, and that's why we're doing it here today and, and will do it on Sundays. So that brings us to about 12 months ago. The Kirk session then naturally took, took that decision that, that was still in front of it and pushed a bit deeper into it. Um, so what we did during the autumn time is we invited two architects to come and show us plans for both of those options. The, you, you know the options, knock down the halls, they're, they're going to go, we think, but refurbish or rebuild the church. So draw us up plans for both of those options. So in effect, we got four sets of plans, two from each of two architects. Okay, and, and actually... What, what you have here on the board, please do get a chance to look at this. It'll, more than what I say, I think the visual will help start to, to get your mind going. You'll start to be able to imagine uh, things. So we, we had the, the four plans before us, hoping that the Kirk session would say, it's become crystal clear to us. We all think we should refurbish the church or we all think we should rebuild it. What became crystal clear is that we were exactly divided on those two options. All right, so we were a bit stuck. Um, and what we decided to do after that was we decided to say, right, we're reacting to quite provisional plans here. They don't have a lot of detail. They don't show us a lot. What might help us decide whether to turn right or to turn left is to go a bit further again. So we currently have architects working with us to give us stuff that's going to be much more detailed than what's here uh, to see if we can revisit the question and as a leadership team, maybe come back to the congregation soon saying we're going to refurbish or rebuild. So that's, um, I think, you up to date with most of the journey. I've, I've skimmed over that. That's 18 months of deliberation. What we're going to try and do over the next few weeks is, is tackle some individual aspects of that uh, and maybe take a 10-minute connecting church slot to show you that. So today we're starting a conversation that's going to run for the next couple of months. Between now and the summertime, we're going to just escalate our are thinking about our buildings. What I've been asked to do this morning is to try and offer a vision for our buildings. So this is not me saying we should turn right or turn left, refurbish or rebuild. It's not that. It's saying whichever of those choices we choose to take, what should we have in mind? How might we think about that? What, what ought we to aspire to with our refurbished or rebuilt buildings? One last comment before I try to do that, but as I was thinking about this today, I need to tell you about a change of heart that I've had throughout my lifetime with buildings. You might identify with this or not. You might have had the opposite change of heart. As a young Christian, um, very clear that Jesus calls us to be a dynamic community, that we're not an institution. Um, I, I was very clear that buildings probably weren't weren't up to much. They're not much good for building the kingdom of God. 
I, I had a sense. I looked at the, the new churches that met in leisure centers or school assembly halls. Uh, I looked at the house churches that met in living rooms, and I thought, that's so much better. You don't have to worry about having a building. Over the years, that has changed for me. Um, I, I'm not, I had to try and trace it. I can see two strands to my thinking. I was probably led by my experience. So what I found was, talking to the guys who met in church assembly halls, they told you, we loved it for the first few weeks. It was really exciting, meeting an hour early and staying an hour late to stack the chairs and to build the whole thing up. We loved that real team-building thing. But after a while, we started not to love that. And that's why we're back in a building of our own. So a few people have told me that story. Um, and I noticed a pattern. So the new churches that do start up, uh, I can give you a couple of real examples. So Redeemer Central, which uh, grew in the center of Belfast during the last decade, started in the living room in East Belfast, ended up in a, a vacated church building down in the cathedral quarter. Village Church, which is just down the road in the vacated Bloomfield Baptist, started in living rooms in the village part of of Belfast on the Donegal Road. So what tends to happen is you start in a living room, but you end up in a building. Maybe some of the guys who are in the big buildings and are empty should just move into a living room and get the traffic moving both ways. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. So I became a bit less of a purist about this idea of whether having a building is a good thing or a bad thing. And I thought, I wonder, does, does Scripture help me with this? What does Jesus think of buildings? Hmm. Well, he went to the synagogue in his local communities. He went to the temple along with everybody else three times a year, made the journey to the, the big building down in Jerusalem. What we find in the early church in Acts is that when the apostles launch their ministries, they do so by going to the temple and teaching there. When Paul launches his ministry, uh, ministry throughout the cities of the, the Roman Empire, he normally, if there's a synagogue in the city, he goes first to the synagogue. So the idea that somehow Jesus and his followers were anti-buildings or chose not to use them or be in them is, is a hard one to sustain. It seems to me that whether we need buildings or not has probably to do with the, uh, the size of a community that we're trying to gather. Okay. If, if we want to be a church family that has 700 people in it, then living rooms are only going to get us so far. We might decide not to gather 700 people. Now, that would be a different decision. But if, if we're going to do that, then buildings are going to be important. Okay, I just thought I'd put that out there to help uh, remind me of, of my journey and, and maybe catalyze something for you. October 1943, the blitz has occurred, bombs have destroyed the commons chamber of the parliament buildings. They need to be rebuilt, and Winston Churchill, among others, insists that the parliament, uh, that the commons chamber is rebuilt in the same uh, rectangular shape that it is, with two sides, to create an adversarial kind of parliamentary experience. He's saying that in contrast to what a lot of other um, 
legislative assemblies have chosen to do, where they've gone for a, a semicircular or horseshoe-shaped design. And in one speech, I'm not going to talk about the pros and cons of our political... Uh, I want to talk about buildings. Churchill said in one speech, he said this, we shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us. Okay? I don't know if you believe that. I absolutely believe that. Because I believe actually that every part of your environment impacts on, on your experience. So I'll, I'll tell you, give you a couple of examples. Regent College, where I studied in Vancouver, the building was part of what contributed to the beautiful ethos of that school. It's, it's built, uh, I should have probably got a wee plan of it to show you. It's built in such a way, it's a quite a long rectangular building. Um, the middle third of it's a big wide corridor. It's not a corridor, that's a bad word. They call it the atrium. But it's, it's where all the good stuff is, all the social space. So the bookshop's there, the coffee shop's there, the sofas are there. It, it's, it opens at one end of the building, it opens at the other end of the building. So here's how it works. You can't get to a class. If you want to go to systematic theology with J.I. Packer, you can't get to it without going through people having coffee. Even if you want to. Even if you're running late. Even if you are feeling grumpy. You can't get to the learning stuff without going through the community stuff. And guess what? If you build a building like that, you end up with a community where everybody knows everybody because we all bump into each other all the time, whether you want to or not. The building shapes the community. I'll give you a, another example. Um, Presbyterian churches, generally and historically, small vestibules, narrow aisles, lots of pews, so lots of space is dedicated to making sure that, that you can sit in the pew and watch the person at the front or the people at the front do their thing, but very little space dedicated to you connecting with each other. Because actually that didn't feel important. As long as people can come, sit through the church service and go home, if it allows for that, if you can get into your pew and get back out of your pew, back home, it's all good. So, so let's not be surprised if we shape buildings like that, that a community is shaped like that, where you can come for year after year after year and still not know each other. You see, our buildings do shape us. So if that's true, if I've even remotely persuaded you of that, it begs the question, what kind of a building do we want to shape that will shape us for generations into the future, 2040, 2060, 2080. What kind of a building do we want shaping us? Well, at Kirkpatrick, there's an easy answer to that because we're crystal clear about what our calling is here. It's to be disciples of Jesus Christ, people who are becoming more like Jesus, who are acting more like Jesus, who are doing the things in the world that Jesus calls us to do. We want to minister, we want to live in the way that Jesus lived. 
For the sake of brevity, I'm going to try and collapse the, the wonderful ministry of Jesus into three ideas this morning. I hope, I hope you recognize them as, as well based in Scripture. Three headings, come, grow, and go. So the first, first aspect of Jesus' ministry, come. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus says, come, follow me. The first thing he says to people is come. Come and be with me. Folks, Kirkpatrick's a very welcoming community. And I'm grateful to you for that. I'm grateful to those who were here when I arrived. I'm grateful to you who, who sustain that welcoming spirit. I think we're a welcoming community, but our buildings don't help us. I'll use a few photographs here. So there's the, the church building with its uh, sign, which is fine. Uh, we managed to get, uh, I don't know if you remember this, in the old days we used to lock our gates. So we managed to get our gates open during the week but the, the railings are still there and it's still what it is. Next slide. So big heavy doors, uh, windows that you can't see through. I'm trying to think of other communities that do that. Is that Masonic Lodges? The Orange Order? Well, there's something going on here, but whatever, we don't want you to know what it is. It's a mystery. And it's not really for you. Possibly a message we're sending. Next. This only dawned on me this week. Most of you, when you come on a Sunday morning, use the blue door, which still looks all right. Monday to Saturday, this is how you approach our church. Any visitor to our church comes there down barbed wire alley. So we're, we're a welcoming community. Um, let, let's get you in through the door. Um, next slide. Mind the step. Just once you get in, we make sure there's a few trip steps. <laughs> I, I remember doing the, the tour of Carrickfergus Castle. Isn't it, is it in, the, in towers? They always had a trip step to make sure if anybody was in who wasn't supposed to be in the trip. Well, we have a bit of that. Uh, I don't know if it was deliberate, but... I know this whenever, I, so for example, if I'm, a family's been bereaved, they're coming to speak to me about the funeral we're going to arrange together, you know, imagine what that meeting is like. I'm meeting them for the first time at the door, but while I'm talking to them about their dad that they've lost, I'm having to say, watch that step, don't trip there, as I bring them from the door into the minister's room. So, we're a welcoming community, but our building doesn't help. What if we could change that? What if we could build a place that really did say, come? Imagine running an evangelistic course in your church and not being embarrassed about the venue. Now, that, I don't have an imagination quite big enough for that. I always thought it was part of the calling, you know, I don't think it is. I think, I think there are aspects of the gospel that, that are difficult. But I don't know that our buildings are supposed to be difficult or embarrassing. Jesus said something very interesting. I've, I've pointed to Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel. I love what he does in John chapter 1. He meets some disciples there, early disciples. He says, come and you will see. So they went 
where he was staying and they spent the day with him. So not, not just come, but spend time. This building was built for about an hour's sojourn. You know that, don't you? There's no lose in the place. You can't even spend a penny without doing the walk of shame down here. No, no lose at that end of the church. So if you're welcome to come, you certainly aren't welcome to stay. Get, if, you, if you need a loo, go and, go and find one somewhere else. One time when our inhospitality really strikes home to me is on a cold November night or a wet February night. I don't drop our kids off to BB and GB anymore. BB is the biggest of the organization, so, so imagine somewhere between 80 and 100 boys. Their parents have to approach the church down, down that uh, thoroughfare outside the church there. And then they get the vestibule to stand in. This is it. This is where you get to hang out while 80 of you or 50 or 60 of you, if you're sharing lifts, wait for your sons, your daughters in those cold, wet evenings. That's all we've got. <sighs> Folks, do you remember what Jesus said? Matthew chapter 5, he said, you're the light of the world. Don't put a bowl over the light. I think if Jesus was saying it today, he might change his metaphors. He might say, if you've got the best product in town, don't waste it on rubbish packaging. Let it, let it be seen. Imagine a church where the building was the most winsome building in Ballyhackamore. It should be. Goodness, we have, the, we have the best thing. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have life to the full. So there we go. The first thing our church could say, our refurbished or rebuilt church, is come. The second thing our church should say is grow. It should speak. Buildings speak. Jesus again, Matthew chapter 4 Whenever he called those first disciples, he said, come, follow me. And what he was saying was, I'm your rabbi, you're my disciples. I'm your teacher, I'm going to teach you how to live. I'm your mentor, you're my apprentices. This is a growing, learning relationship. This has to be a learning place. And, and it's no mistake then that, you know, it's got to be a classroom for, for learners. It's got to be a, a workshop for a, apprentices. A church needs to say grow. And again, we're, we're struggling with that at present. Sunday mornings is our biggest discipling time. It's the time we gather the whole family. Not, not everybody who's in the building on a Sunday morning you see here on a Sunday, you know that. There are other people working already in other places. If we brought them in, uh, we'd overfill the seats, I'm sure. So we've run into problems with space. Sunday club are rammed in. Round about this time of the year, we start a new conversation with Leanne and Susan about, can we fit them in again next year? Can we 
find, can we rejig it all? Um, a few couple of years ago, we realized that we couldn't fit the pieces in anymore. Uh, so Bible class, next slide. They are meeting, uh, that's them, they're over there now in Bloomfield Collegiate School because they don't fit here anymore. We can't accommodate everybody together. Even on a, a Sunday in our church building, I'm going to show the, the gallery. Uh, I see some guys up there today. That's what the gallery looks like. Hands up who's never been in our gallery. I'm going to say a good number of people. Yeah, loads of people have never been there. So that's what it looks like. I'll show you the view from the gallery. It wasn't supposed to be funny, but it does look like the, the front of the church is half a mile away. It, it's a very remote, otherworldly kind of place. I went up a few weeks ago just to remind myself of what it's like up there. So thank you guys for uh, tolerating the limitations that there are up there. So we're running out of space. Even the spaces that we have, they're not, they're not built for purpose. They're not good educating spaces in general. There's little flexibility for group sizes. There's no storage in most of the rooms, so they end up looking untidy and cluttered. Uh, there's little integrated technology to, to do that teaching that the, the way it, it's done best these days. I was thinking... I was thinking too about something beyond that. It, it's not just spaces and technology. I was thinking of our discipleship group. When we meet on a Wednesday evening, we deliberately use two rooms. We use the lounge in our house and then we come and sit around the kitchen table. I think the best learning happens. So the lounge we use, I suppose, as a classroom. We're quite intentional in there. We're, we're doing our study together or whatever. Um, and then in the kitchen table, we get to talk about anything and everything. Sublime to the ridiculous can be anything. They're both important. We need formal educating spaces that are just as helpful as they could possibly be. But we also need informal spaces where the conversations happen. Sunday morning is brilliant for that at Kirkpatrick. That... that half hour or hour after church is gold dust, discipling gold. I'd love to see more space. Like, there's no spaces. I don't know if you know this. There's no spaces in our church where you can sit beyond the sanctuary. The staff have, uh, we can sit at our computers to work. But there's nowhere else you'd be, there's nowhere else that you'd be invited. The building would invite you just to, to tarry. That's a good old word, isn't it? To hang out, hang out. The building doesn't do that, doesn't encourage that, doesn't invite that. So those mentoring, discipling conversations that could happen aren't being facilitated that way. Folks, we could build a building that would help us to grow. That would be another way to build for the gospel. Very quickly and thirdly, we've talked about come, a building that welcomes, grow, a building that facilitates learning, and then thirdly, a building that helps us to go. That was, that was the third big aspect of Jesus' ministry that I want to point out today. At the start of the Gospels, he says, come and grow. At the end of the Gospel, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. 
What if our building was a launch pad? A place that inspires us to go. It's funny, I was thinking about this. I thought, how does a building do that? I, I, I wonder, feel free to talk to me about any of this stuff. I wonder if the same building that says come, that has a minimal barrier between in here and out there, the, the same one that's easy to get into is the kind of one that helps propel you back out. If we ship a building where people can see in, it might just be the kind of building that helps us to remember out there and keeps us noticing, keeps us uh, being inspired. So, so our building shouldn't be a place that we escape to getting away from Ballyhackamore and the Newtonards Road, but it should rather be a place that keeps us mindful of Ballyhackamore and inspires us for going back out there. I think we've struggled with that. Our, our propelling, our equipping um, function in the church could be enhanced, I think, with, with buildings that suit us better. Our, our staff team necessarily are part of the equipping function of our church. We have found it very difficult over the years to accommodate them well, to give them the best uh, the best uh, resource to work together. So, for example, if we hadn't, thank God we got the, the wee fudge factory there next door that we talk about. I don't know if you know this. Our staff offices are in the, the wee building tucked away between here and Hillview Avenue called the fudge factory. They're on the, the first floor of that building. Prior to that, we were trying to do anything as a staff team was out of two quite small rooms behind the organ pipes here. Well, we're much better off now than we were then. We still have lots of problems. So, for example, our church office is in behind the organ pipes, a long, long way from where we would want to meet and greet people on the Newtonards Road. Um, our, at the, the way we're configured at the moment, our office is there, but the rest of our staff work somewhere else. So that doesn't help us working together as a team. Uh, it has logistical problems. So it's a little bit difficult for our staff team uh, and, and certainly things could be a lot better if we had a chance to rebuild all that. If you, let me show you Cornhill. We're talking here about going, about equipping people to take the gospel of Jesus into the world. Cornhill, do people know what Cornhill is? It's a full-time Bible school, quite small, about 20 people. Uh, tend to study there at any given time, but they're full-time. They're here all day Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. This is a wee mini theological college here. They love being here because they find being on a, an arterial route gives good access for students to use public transport. They like the services that there are in Ballyhackamore. You can easily get what you need by way of a, a lunch or whatever. And this is the room that we give them. Okay, this is a full-time Bible college. They come in every morning, they set up their tables, and then pack them away every evening. They like being here. I, I remember when we were having the conversation, I was thinking, are you sure? This is our room here. Let me show you the room. They like being here. Uh, part of me wonders if, if I'm imagining a, a church that has a, a purpose-built educating space for, for small-sized classes. 
who knows, if, if that partnership with Cornhill continued, you could have a wonderful scenario that a lot of churches would be envious of. You could have a beautiful educating space that's used 20 or 30 hours a week by this class and then used on evenings and weekends by a church family. Imagine that, church premises that are actually used, you know? Most churches stand empty all week. But we have these, we have these things that God has brought to us. Kirkpatrick Memorial could be a, a sort of a discipling hub, discipling our own people, but also with resources to offer anybody else who wants to do this, this equipping, this sending people to go kind of work. Folks, I'm going to stop. That was all. Uh, just took a bit of time to share that this morning. Billy read for us um, from First uh, Kings. Um, I'd asked for this passage to be read, knowing that I wasn't going to preach it. But it's so important, and I'll close with this in case there's any doubt in your minds. In that passage, Solomon praise to dedicate the temple. It's, it's just a, it's probably the, the high point of the Old Testament people of God. This is them at their best. They're in the promised land. They've built a temple, and they're dedicating it to God. And Solomon says this beautiful stuff. He says, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven can't continue. How much less this temple that I've built? Folks, we're not trying to build a home for God. You haven't heard me say any of that stupid stuff about if we build this kind of building, God will come and be with us. That, that's nonsense. He, he's with us. He'll be with us whatever kind of buildings we have. We, we can't build a home for God. We can't domesticate Him. But what we can do, I think is build a building that shapes us and keeps us doing the stuff that Jesus called us to do. We shape our buildings, and afterwards our buildings shape us. Well, then, if that's true, then let's build a building that shapes us to invite people to come, to help them to grow, and equip them then to go. Let's pray.